Today's scripture reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. The word of the Lord. Always so grateful to have you here at River Oaks, but uh, especially on a day when you lose an hour of sleep. Good to have you here. Thank you for coming to church this morning at River Oaks. Very grateful. I do want to encourage you to uh, greet one another this morning. If you're seated near somebody you don't know, to try to uh, introduce yourself and speak to them. But we are adopting a no handshake policy at this time of year, so maybe an elbow bump or a fist bump or something like that would be a little bit better. I do want to mention that... Um, if you open your bulletin this morning, you'll see a little perforated strip that is entitled, Hey, I'm Here. We always appreciate it if you fill these out and drop it in the basket that'll come around at the end. Even if you're here every week, it's our way of knowing you're here and your way to indicate prayer requests or other things of interest. So uh, just want to point that out to you as we begin. We're continuing today our theme that we're calling One Story. We're looking at God's one plan for his people revealed from beginning to end in Scripture. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, 
We're looking at all 66 books of the Bible as a unified whole supporting the one theme, the one story of God's plan of redemption for his people. Now this morning we're looking at the book of Judges. The book of Judges is one of those parts of scripture that, for example, if you were to take a religion course in college and uh, the professor uh, knew that you were a Christian who actually believed the Bible to be inspired by God, you might get a question like this. How can you believe in an all-powerful God who allows the kind of violence that we find in a book of the Bible like this? The book of Judges, filled with violence, filled with bloodshed. How could you possibly believe in a God who's all-powerful and still allow something like this to happen? I hope that this morning, by the end of our time together, that we'll be a little better prepared to answer a question like that, and more importantly, to see how the book of Judges actually fits into God's one-story, big-picture plan. The book of Judges takes place right after the death of Joshua. Now, if you were with us last week, Joshua was the one who served faithfully under Moses. Moses was the great leader of God's people. He was the one who led the Israelites out of their slavery under Pharaoh. And the Exodus led them out of Egypt, led them through the parted Red Sea. And Moses was the great lawgiver, the one to whom God gave his laws, such as the Ten Commandments. Moses brought the people of Israel right up to the promised land, but then Moses died, and Joshua was the one who would take the Israelites into the promised land. God showed the Israelites that just as he had been with Moses, so he was with Joshua. And God did many wonderful, powerful things to demonstrate the reality of his presence with the Israelites through Joshua as well. But as we get to the book of Judges, Joshua has died. After Joshua died, the Israelites failed to teach the next generation about the Lord. Now, this is one of the most remarkable things in the book of Judges. and We we saw this in the passage Amanda read a moment ago, that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. But as we move to the last verse of that paragraph, we read, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, this is a remarkable thing. It's remarkable in in light of the fact that, first of all, God had done these extraordinary miracles for Joshua and the elders who had served with them. And they failed to transmit the knowledge of that to their own children, to the next generation. It's further remarkable because God had very clearly commanded them to transmit this knowledge to the next generation. In preparing the Israelites to enter the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy, God had given his word to Moses for the people. And it said, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Teach these words to your children. He went on to say, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. God had been very clear about this. But apparently the Israelites had failed to do this. And thus will begin a remarkable cycle that we could call the cycle of the judges. They failed to teach the next generation. And then the Israelites abandoned the Lord and served false gods. The very thing God had told them, commanded them to teach their children not to do. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So what happened? Well, the Lord gave them, gave them into the hand of their enemies. He had warned this, and so he did it. The angel of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. Note these words, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. God keeps his word. We often think of God's keeping his word in, in regard to his promises. We like to talk about that. God keeps his promises, but he also keeps his word when it comes to his warnings. And he had warned the Israelites what would happen if they abandoned him and served these false gods. They were given over to their enemies as the Lord had warned, and they were in terrible distress. Well, what happened? The Israelites were drawn into the beliefs and the practices and the, the morality, or perhaps better to say immorality, of the surrounding culture of the peoples among whom they now lived they abandoned God and the truth of his word. God gave them over to their enemies. But in their suffering, they cried out to God. And when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up judges to save them from their enemies. Now, these judges were not judges like we know judges today. We think of a judge as someone who, who sits in a courtroom to rule in a certain way. These judges, for the most part, were military leaders. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So despite their departure from God, when they turned to God, he delivered them through the judges who were primarily military leaders. The chart you'll see next lists 12 judges. Some count uh, 13 judges. Uh, there are a couple of folks in the book of Judges that it's not quite clear whether they would bear the title of judge or not. But uh, beginning with Othniel and going all the way down to Samson. Samson is probably the best known of those judges. Gideon is fairly well known. Deborah. And they served uh, for various periods of time, uh, as short as seven years, as many as 80 years. But here's what happened. When the judge died, the cycle of disobedience to God continued. Whenever the judge died, they turned back. 
And they didn't just turn back to the sins of their fathers. They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This is incredible. They worship idols. God gives judgment, lets their enemies oppress them. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge. As soon as a judge dies, they go back. And they become even worse than they were before. The cycle continues. It may be helpful to look at this cycle in the form of an illustration and remember how it began. Remember, with the, with, it began with the failure to teach the next generation the word of God and the ways of God. And so Israel then abandons the Lord. The one who said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The one who said, you shall have no other gods before me. My goodness, they've not even transmitted the Ten Commandments to their children. So Israel abandons the Lord. God gives them in the hand of their enemies, just like he warned he would do. They're oppressed by their enemies. Eventually, they cry out to God. Israel cries out to God. And God responds by raising up a judge, these judges who are primarily military leaders. God does miracles through these judges. Think about Samson, for example, probably the best-known judge, the, the miraculous power that comes through him. Or Gideon. Gideon takes an army of just 300 uh, people to defeat a much larger uh, army of the Midians. These miraculous things. But the judge dies, and what happens? The cycle continues. They go back, and it just repeats throughout the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is all about this cycle. Now, this helps, I think, at least to, to uh, answer the question, why is there so much violence? If you read through the book of Judges, if you've never read it before, you, you'll just see it's almost just a, a picture of human depravity and, and corruption. And if, if you're looking for a very short answer to the question of why is there all this violence found here in the Bible, particularly in the book of Judges, I think the short answer very simply is human sin. Human sin. Departure from God. Departure from His Word and His ways. That answer won't be entirely satisfying, though, to those who, who dig a little more deeply into the Scripture and raise this question. All right, we understand human sin, judgment, etc. But there's a more difficult question when it comes to the violence in the, in the Old Testament, and it's this question. Why did God actually tell the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites, women and children included. To me, this is one of the most difficult questions ever raised about the Old Testament. And, and let me just tell you, if you ever do any reading by anybody who is an atheist and, and has a strong bias against uh, any belief in the inspiration and authority of Scripture, this is, a, this is a key point that they will make. How can you believe in a God? When one says, hand says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill in Ten Commandments. 
And yet, he tells the Israelites to kill people. What do, what do we make of that? And he did tell them that. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, God gave this guidance to the Israelites going in to live among these Canaanites. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. Wow. Why would God tell the Israelites to do this? Well, <laughs> let's first remember something about God, who he is. He's God. He is omnipotent. He's the creator of all things. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. And he, and only he, knows when a person or a group of people or a people group is utterly beyond any possibility of repentance. Remember now, God has wiped out people before. If you read Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says God saw that the intent of the thought of everybody was only evil continually. But there was Noah who believed. There was his household. God saved them, but everyone else was destroyed with a flood. Similarly, on a smaller scale, there's Sodom and Gomorrah. We need to know this about God. God and only God knows when a people or culture, a group, is beyond any possibility of repentance. And we should say this about the Canaanites, the people uh, whose land the Israelites were going to possess. Their, their sins were almost beyond description. One of the most horrible forms of idolatry involved offering their young children in fire to an idol called Molech. Here's what God had said to the Israelites in the book of Leviticus. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The Lord went on to tell his people that the Canaanites had even made the very land on which they lived unclean by their practices. God said in Leviticus, you shall not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For all these nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Wow. Apparently there are times, like in the day of Noah, when sin has so overtaken a people that God, and only God knows, that they are beyond any possibility of repentance. And like a cancer, this sin has to be removed or it will spread 
and infect others. And there are times when God, like a skilled surgeon, knows the disease of sin must be removed so that it does not corrupt and destroy others. And this seems to be the reason God called the Israelites to destroy certain people. Now, let me say this. There are exceptions. If you were with us last week, you saw the Israelites were going to go destroy the Canaanite people of Jericho. But there was a prostitute named Rahab, and she'd heard about the power of God, and she believed and said to the spies that came into Jericho, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She was saved. She was spared. And not only her, but her whole extended family was saved. And she went and lived amongst the Hebrews and married a man named Salmon. And they had a baby boy named Boaz who married a woman named Ruth. And they had a baby boy named Obed who had a son named Jesse, the father of King David. And if I got that in the right order at least, the prostitute Rahab was the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, King David, and happens to be in the line of Jesus Christ given us in the Gospel of Matthew. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be spared. There's always mercy. Now, did the Israelites obey God and destroy uh, these people? and prevent the infectious disease of Canaanite sin from spreading to themselves and their children, they did not. And so, we read these words in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is just incredible to me because of the way it looks back on the history of Israel and at the same time looks to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. An incredible book of the Bible that really pulls together uh, Old and New Testaments. And the writer of Psalm 106 is giving us some of the history of Israel and writes these words. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. And that's what people are doing when they worship these idols. They're worshiping demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage, and he gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them. Now, this is the cycle of the judges. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. The cycle of the judges. Now, some of you who are here regularly have looked at the back of your bulletin and said, we are over halfway through this sermon. I have not filled in one blank yet. And there's a whole lot of blanks on that bulletin. So lest you leave here frustrated, let's go through and fill out those blanks this morning. The book of Judges. 
So we step back and look at the book of Judges. We need to say this first of all. The judges themselves were very often weak and flawed leaders. Just to take three examples. One of the better known judges was Gideon. Gideon, God had very clearly told Gideon uh, what he would do. He would save Israel through them. And Gideon, though, says to God, if, if you do what you say, if you'll save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm going to put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I know you'll do it. And God does that. God obliges him. And then he asks God to do it again. And let it, you know, be, be opposite. Let the fleece be dry and the, the, the ground wet. And God had already told him he would do it, yet he requires this sign of God. My point is simply that he's pretty weak in faith. What about Jephthah? Jephthah is a lesser-known judge of Israel, but there's a lot of space given to him in the book of Judges. And God is going to use Jephthah as a military leader, and Jephthah makes a very unnecessary vow to the Lord and says, if you'll give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. And the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter, his only child. Well, this is where Bible commentators, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens. So some say, well, he really offered it up as a burnt offering. The Bible doesn't say. Others say, well, you know, she lived a, a life of isolation and and perpetual virginity, uh, the Bible doesn't say, but commentators do agree, this vow was rash, foolish, unnecessary. After all, God had already said, you shall not give your children as an offering in fire like that. That was an abomination to God. And then there's Samson. My goodness, if you read the story of Samson, you have to say, Samson was immoral, he was undisciplined and very, very unwise. He keeps going back to this woman, Delilah, who's trying to find out the secret of his power. And she keeps prodding him and prodding him and prodding him until he, he tells her. But that's Samson. Yet, all three of these judges, flawed as they were, were approved by God for their faith in the New Testament book of Hebrews. In the great chapter on the subject of faith in the New Testament, the writer says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What's the point? These weak flawed leaders, became a part of God's big picture plan. And what was that plan? The plan was to preserve this rebellious people, the Israelites, so that ultimately through them would come the Messiah, Jesus, fulfilling the covenant promise God had made to Abraham when he said, to your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The Apostle Paul tells us that that promise to Abraham was granted in a very veiled form 
the announcement of the gospel because the Messiah Jesus would come through the descendants of Abraham and would be the one who would bless all the nations of the world. The book of Judges stresses the fact that the weakness and the sinfulness of human beings could not stop or deter God's commitment to his covenant promise that through these people, I am going to bring the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus. Despite their cycle of idolatry, their turning to sin, God in his mercy is going to spare them and ultimately bring the Messiah, Jesus, through them. So that the book of Judges makes the point that when we human beings are faithless, God is still faithful. Judges is about God's faithfulness despite his people's incredible unfaithfulness. Now, it also teaches us, it being Judges, the book of Judges, also teaches us some really important truths for our lives today. And one is this, to teach the next generation about the Lord. Remember that the whole cycle of Judges begins when the Israelites fail to convey to their children, to the next generation, the mighty works of God, the teaching of God, His statutes, His truth, His laws that they were told to teach them thoroughly, to teach the next generation about the Lord. Much of the Old Testament is intended to teach us how to live with a great emphasis on what not to do. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he's writing about Old Testament accounts like those found in the book of Numbers, when the Israelites were in frequent rebellion against the Lord. He says, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them did. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Much of the Old Testament is intended to teach us and to teach us what to avoid, what not to do. We must not fail to teach the next generation about the Lord, those of you who are parents, to teach your children. And I praise God for many of you here who I know teach our children in in Noah's Ark and Kids Rock. You work with our students. Very thankful for you. Secondly, Judges teaches us to avoid having our beliefs and values shaped by the ever-changing culture around us. As Judges 2 says of the Israelites, they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. The cycle of Judges highlights the tendency of human beings, the tendency to conform to the changing beliefs and morals of the culture that is around us. This is what the Israelites did. It's what the Apostle Paul teaches Christians not to do when he says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, don't let your life be conformed to the ever-changing cultural standards around you. Let your mind be renewed by God's truth so that you can live out and demonstrate the good and perfect will of God. We need a standard of truth for that purpose. In the Old Testament, they had the the law of Moses they'd been commanded to teach to their children. They had the words of prophets. We have, in the words of the Apostle Peter, a more sure word of prophecy, which is the inspired word of God in Scripture. Judges teaches us to teach the next generation to avoid having our beliefs and values shaped by the ever-changing culture around us. And thirdly, to recognize our need for an all-powerful Savior and King. There's a summary verse in the book of Judges, and it's the very last verse in the book. It's the very last verse in the last chapter, Judges 21-25, and here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If you want to see what life is like, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, without any regard for God. Just read the book of Judges. As we reflect on the book of Judges, we realize that we have a judge who is not like the judges who were flawed and sinful, Samson, Jephthah, Gideon. We have a judge, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who's perfect and without sin. And if he were only a judge, we would be in big trouble because we fail and we fall short of the glory of God and we do sin and we've broken his laws. But Jesus is not only the great judge, he is also the great savior. And the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in the gospel, the judge himself pays our penalty. It's the judge himself who steps down from the throne of judgment and allows himself to be nailed to a cross. And it's the judge himself who bears the Father's judgment on himself as if he were the guilty one. So that through our faith in him, we are not only forgiven, but deemed, considered righteous by God credited with the judge's own righteousness, his own right standing, so that the apostle Paul could say of Jesus that God the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus, the judge, pays our penalty. He becomes our king. He becomes our great shepherd. And one day, Jesus will return. And he will return as judge. And there will be just judgment for all who have rejected him, rejected God, failed to receive his gospel. But for those who have received him, he comes as the great shepherd of the sheep, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. I'll close with these words from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The Apostle John writes these words in Revelation 19. 
Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Would you join me as we pray? Father, how we thank you for the truth of that great verse found in the book of 1 John, God is love. And despite the waywardness, the sinfulness of us human beings, you have demonstrated your love in sending your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray for any here today who have never embraced the salvation of Jesus, that this would be the day you would bring that one to a point of saying, God, I need you. Would you please forgive my sins? I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord this day. Guide my life from this day forward. Father, would you help us today to see the great value in teaching your truth to the next generation? Would you help us today to see the great need to have our minds renewed by your word so that we are not conformed to the world around us? Would you help us be aware of the need to let this world around us know of the salvation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we pray in his great name. Amen.